I want to welcome Agile XRM to the podcast. I've known the people at Agile XRM for the past 12 years. I've seen how their business process management tool can add massive value to complex organizational processes in sectors such as finance and government. If you have complex processes or a need for dialogues on the Power Platform or Dynamics 365, take a look at how this BPM tool can add value. You can find them at agilexrm.com or check out the show notes for more details. Welcome to the Power 365 Show. Full show notes for this episode can be found at nz365guy.com forward slash 312. But before we chat with today's guest, here's a quick message from our sponsor. Well, currently I'm looking for a sponsor of the Power 365 Show. So if you know of somebody that would be interested, please reach out to me on LinkedIn. But without further ado, let's get on with the show. Today's guest is from Seattle in the US of A. He works for Microsoft as a vice president of Dynamics 365 Customer Insights, so the CDP platform for Microsoft. Welcome to the show, Frank Weigel. Great to be here. Frank, it's been a long time trying to get you on the show, and I'm so <laughs> pleased to, to finally have you here. How's it? Uh, how's life going for you there in Seattle? I, actually, it's sunny today, which uh, for those of you who know Seattle know that that's not always the case. And so we are very excited uh, to see blue skies. So things are going great. Nice. Is the mountain out? I, I, can't, I, can't, I just see a beautiful giant trees from my window. But yes, I would expect we have a beautiful view of the mountains too. Nice, nice. So tell me a bit about uh, what you do when you're kind of not at work. What do you do for uh, fun, wind down, family, food, that type of thing in Seattle? Oh, uh, absolutely. Well, I've got um, uh, a family with uh, two young kids. Um, my oldest is uh, four and a half and the youngest is uh, uh, one and a half. And so um, uh, that, that's keeping me rather busy right now most of the time. Um Food-wise, I, I do love to barbecue, so I've got mm-hmm. to smoke outside, and uh, nice. um, I think everybody from from certainly your part of the world will appreciate that I do mm-hmm. not like uh, cooking on gas, so nice. I'm more charcoal and, and wood uh, kind of guy, um, but yeah, no, I love smoking, love barbecuing, it's, it's a, a great um, joy of mine. Mm. Very nice, very nice. And uh, besides that, are you, are you into golf, uh, mountain climbing? You know, you've got such a beautiful uh, landscape around you. What do you get up to? I, I used to do a lot of hiking. Uh, um, that's actually how I met my wife, uh, mm. uh, hiking, backpacking. But uh, these days with kids, we are, we are a bit more local. Yeah. I'm actually, um, I, I just uh, got a 3D printer recently, so I'm enjoying wow. kind of um, doing some making I used to do hardware at university, so getting back mm-hmm. into some microcontroller stuff and FPGAs and with a wow. 3D printer, looking forward to trying to build all kinds of, of blinking light toys for my kids. Um, nice. So that's a project. Very cool. Very cool. Um, one thing that the listeners can't see, of course, is that behind you, um, you've got a fantastic uh, a computer set up that's, uh, you know, that, that, you know, if your camera's on, you can fully see it, which is, which is amazing. It's actually inspired my computer setup uh, from my last chat. 
<laughs> yes, yes, you're right. I've been building PCs since I think I'm 12 or something. And I recently, like last year or so, um, started to do a, a water-cooled setup for the first time. And so nice. have one. And we all know, you know, the more lights you have and the faster <laughs> they blink, the faster the computer goes. And so, you know, because of that, obviously, I needed some RGB in that machine. And so mm-hmm. it got the nice rain uh, effect on my RAM and everything. So, nice. yes, it's it's a fun project. Project I did enjoy so making good. things. <clears throat> so good. I actually tried to implement, you know, how you've got your long cables running the, around to the from the screens, and yeah. uh, my monitor. I've got a forty-nine inch monitor um, nice. from uh, Samsung, the the nine G, and unfortunately, you need eight K uh, cables, and mm. uh, the cables I, I got my extension cables obviously didn't meet that requirement yesterday when I tried to install them. So. Um, I haven't been able to move my machine behind me just yet. Yeah, active uh, active cables I find so to with the amplification are a bit hit and miss. I've got some some with USB and some of the DVI. Mm-hmm. I need to try a few different brands. Um, but yes, it's 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 tricky, but it's worthwhile. I have to say, it freed up my desk. So yeah, I like it. I like it. Tell me about your journey into Microsoft. How did you end up? Uh, well, really, how do you get into tech to start with, and then ultimately end up at Microsoft? Sure. Um, it was a little bit of a roundabout journey to end up in tech. I actually first did a business degree. I first thought, <clears throat> you know, clearly um, uh, managing and building a company would be fun. So I got business mm-hmm. degree. As I started this, I realized, you know what? Actually, the business part is incredibly boring. I always <laughs> swore I would never want to like be in like do email and PowerPoint, uh, uh, you know, as the main job. Mm-hmm. Now, I, I will I will not tell you what I do most of my time today, but um, uh, I you know so I ended up doing a computer science degree, uh, computer engineering actually in the UK in Manchester, mm. and um, kind of from there uh, ended up uh, one of my professors. I started a PhD there, and then um, one of my professors uh, started a company called Transitive that was into something doing dynamic binary translation. It's like taking software compiled for one process in OS and at runtime mm-hmm. generating code for a different process in OS. And, you know, I was doing the PhD. It was like, hey, we've got funding for this thing. Do you want to join? And it sounded a lot more exciting than a PhD thesis. And so mm-hmm. I joined that and kind of it started from there. So I ended up, um, kind of getting into startups this way, stayed with that company until it got bought by IBM. Um, and then uh, was kind of bitten by the startup thing. I went, uh, did a NoSQL one afterwards. Oh, yeah. um, uh, so called Couchbase, where we did distributed NoSQL. Mm-hmm. And um, that's actually where I met James Phillips, which uh, I know you had on your show and many yeah. of your listeners will know. Uh, he was one of the founders of Couchbase. And so, um, and then... Uh, after Couchbase, uh, when I was looking for new opportunities, I actually was was keen to go and do more startups. But um, James can be very persuasive, and uh, <laughs> he told me how awesome Microsoft is. He had been by then uh, there for like I think a year or two, and he was telling me how you know people were great, and it was nothing like the large companies he'd worked for before, mm-hmm. and. Yeah, I'm. I'm so excited. I I uh, uh, I followed his uh, advice there and I gave Microsoft a try. I have to say it's been it's been a fantastic time uh, to be here. I'm here now for seven years. So wow. I, I joined um, uh, pretty much just before Satya 
uh, took the helm. And uh, I'm sure you've had, on this show talked often about how how I think big the changes, of course, to Microsoft have been during that time. And it really has been for me, um, in many ways, a succession of startups. I, I have taken a lot of um, uh, actually a lot of technologies you talk about here with your um, uh, with your listeners. Mm. Um, a lot of the power platform and I've taken technology and kind of launched products, launched the V1s of these products, brought technology to market, and I've I've had a blast doing it. It's been a mm-hmm. fantastic ride. So before getting involved in the BizApp space at Microsoft, were you in other teams prior to BizApps? Uh yeah. Well, so the power platform basically was I I, I started the first thing I ever did was something called um application in, insights. Um, where we kind of did uh, analytics. I was there. She did the acquisition of Hockey App, um, which which ended up uh, being great for mobile analytics. Um, and then really got involved with what's now the Power Platform. So I ran PM for uh, Power Apps, uh, for what's now Power Automate, kind of um, launched that um, into, into the V1 to first public preview and then wow. prioritized it. And of course, that has been, especially on Power Apps, kind of been a wild ride. Um, and then I did uh, what became Power Virtual Agent. We called it mm-hmm. Customer Care Insights originally when we, um, you know, and and all of these, actually interesting enough, took technology that we had in Microsoft and yeah. kind of made into product, right? So for Power Apps, Project Sienna had been around and there were variants for building apps in the app stores around what's, what's the core of Power Apps these days. But, I, I, you know, it was never quite a thing put in the right context. And so that's what we did there, you know, for Power Virtual Agent, CCI, the chatbot technology was something that uh, had been developed for Microsoft's own customer support bot. And uh, a lot of great AI out of MSI had come into it. And we'd used it to build bespoke um, chatbots for for major companies like HP and others, but it wasn't really a, a product as such. And so, you know, there I took that technology and we made it into what we have today, which is, you know, a kind of low code um, uh, way of building chatbots. Um, and, and that's really, you know, what I enjoy doing. Uh, I love taking complex tech and figuring out how can we make it easy and accessible. And so all the, the low code things in the power platform, bringing that power to a much broader audience, um, to people who know the business problems, but don't necessarily have a degree in computer science or know how to program. For me, that's the only way how digital transformation will really be able to scale to the, to the level we need it because every business needs to transform digitally in order to survive, honestly, these days. And, and we can only get there. There just aren't enough um, uh, developers, right, traditionally out there. And so we really need to make technology so easy that the how part doesn't become the hindering thing. And it becomes more about, um, you know, you need to understand your business. You need to understand what to achieve. You need to understand, you know, what you want things to do. But we need to make it easy for everybody um, uh, to kind of watch for, for a much broader audience to do this. And that's kind of been a bit of a tenor for all the products that we continue now into customer insights, which is, you know, very much along that same vein. Yeah, so <clears throat> from memory, wasn't even product insights, which is part of customer insights now. That was an internal, uh, um, as in it was technology used by Microsoft to monitor what it was doing. Isn't that right? That's also been productized? It, that's right. So um, so customer insights, um, uh, is is kind of has two elements. 
Mm-hmm. One is Audience Insights, which is the part that's GA um, now for almost two years. Um, and that's the part about unifying kind of existing data uh, that, that exists within a company around customers. And then we have this part uh, called um, Engagement Insights, uh, which used to be called Product Insights. Mm-hmm. And um, that is basically about capturing behavioral signals. So understanding what uh, how people interact with you know, a company's website, a company's mobile app, a company's devices. And indeed, the underpinnings of that is based on a project that's called ARIA, um, which has been used by, by Office, uh, for example, and other Microsoft, actually, I think we've got a few hundred products on it, that he basically has used it for telemetry. And so it's very much in the same vein, as you say, Mark, because we had built this incredibly scalable technology to deal with these huge data streams. You know, if you've used Teams, the Teams calls, all that telemetry goes through that system. And so you can imagine the scale uh, that the telemetry that this data has and then building the platform that goes and is able to analyze it and reason over that data, often in, in with very short latency, has been what kind of ARIA enabled and that now we're able to bring uh, to this space of understanding how customers interact with um, uh, with the company. And so, yeah, very excited. And honestly, the depth of talent and the depth of technology that we have here at Microsoft amazes me every day. You know, I used to be in the Bay Area for, for 10, 10 years, for a decade. And anybody who is in the Bay Area knows that, you know, there's that bubble in Silicon Valley where everybody thinks, you know, clearly only good technologists live in the Bay Area and anything outside (laughs) isn't really that good. Mm -hmm. Um, But so coming here to Microsoft, I have to say, it's just impressive the the, the level of depth uh, that people have here. The the experience uh, and the talent is amazing. At times, maybe with less attitude than the the Bay mm-hmm. Area, I always mm-hmm. say. And so, I actually found it uh, it's it's such a fun place to work at. So, I feel feel very lucky and fortunate to be here. Let's let's unpack a, a little bit uh, for the listeners. Um, first of all, what is a customer data platform? And of course, Dynamics three six five Customer Insights is Microsoft's um, CDP or customer data platform. But I'd like just to hear in your words how you look at um, the the industry category of customer data platforms. Well, so at the heart of it, um, it's really this fundamental change that we are seeing playing out, you know, at the moment and and started a a little while ago, which is data really emanates from everything, right? Uh, These days, everything is digitalized, right? Whether it is, we just talked about interacting with a website or mobile app, but the same is if I call customer service, right? If I go and buy something and check out, even the delivery, right? Like these days we're used to, I can go and track and see exactly where my package is. Everything that we typically do um, uh, in our you know lives interacting with companies leaves these digital trails right the um, uh, of course the machine that builds something will go and has a stream of telemetry coming from it and with the advent really of cloud storage and computing becoming ubiquitous and affordable right we're now really at a point where suddenly all this data the data exhaust can be stored and used. And so we're now at a point, at this inflection point, where we're changing fundamentally from being where we used to be kind of like app first or process first, right? Where like Mm -hmm. traditionally businesses 
meant that there was a, a person who would go and call somebody and then some person would look at a screen and fill out a form or fill out an app or say, oh, this customer wants to do this or that. These days, we can gather this data and we can create insights, actionable insights out of this data. And our belief is that overall, companies will entirely change across all aspects, whether it is across how they work with customers, whether they how they interact with their employees, how they build product, how they optimize their operations, that all of these different aspects will start to change or is already starting to change by being far more based on this available data. Mm-hmm. Now, customer engagement is, you know, the 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 probably the most prominent part and certainly where CDPs play. In this case, the um problem is or the opportunity is that a business typically has enormous amounts of data on their customers. However, this data is normally siloed. So the customer service system has all the details on, you know, customer support calls that came from various, you know, people and how long they took and who they were handled by and all this stuff. It will get analyzed by, you know, for customer support, but typically it's one silo. You have, as we said, your website um, behavioral data, your mobile app data. You have the data from your commerce system or people bought. You might have usage telemetry directly from a device, for example. Um, you have uh, things like a, um, a Wi-Fi login signal as people enter your store, for example. All of these data all that data exists, but it is um, separate. And, you know, your audience is, is, is technical. And so you'll understand all that the problem of combining that data is actually a really hard problem because you don't have like a key. I can just go and say, great, I'll just join all this data and here you yeah. go. In reality, each of these data sets uses different ways of identifying um, uh, who this is about, the data in those records will conflict with each other, right? For example, the phone number I gave you when I signed up for my account eight years ago, it might not be the same phone number I have today, same for my address and all kinds of other data. And so mm. different systems will have different data. And a CDP is really all about being able to create that um, uh, best view of each individual customer that combines all the knowledge a company has. Mm -hmm. It then, so it deals with all, how do I find out what is about the same person? How do I resolve these conflicts to create kind of this golden record? And then allows you to enrich that data further. If you have other data sets, if uh, you know, you can go and combine and then you get to do the, the fun part, which is all about how can I now create Um, actionable insights atop this data. And this actionable insights we do through AI, through more traditional um, uh, kind of analytics, you know, like I can do like uh, everything, like what's the, you know, what's the favorite day a person goes into my store? What's their average spend? Or what's their, you know, like um, favorite player? I mean, like you can go lots, depending on the domain, lots of different aspects. Um, A lot of predictive modeling, a lot of lookalike modeling on the AI and, you know, happy to dive more into that later. But once you have these insights, you're now trying to get to a point where you say, hey, maybe this is a person you're in danger of losing, right? Mm-hmm. This is a product that might be a great um, next thing for this person that they would probably be interested. It can be about... Um, 
hey, this is a, these are some of your key customers that are, we think will be over the lifetime incredibly valuable to your business. So you better make sure, right, you, you, you take care of them really well. You can be, hey, here might be somebody who is, seems like they're struggling with your products or have a terrible experience because maybe their product fails, customer support keeps them waiting, lots of different data points. And you go like, hey, this person is not having a delightful experience. And so you create these actionable insights and then you act upon them. And this is um, uh, typically outside of the CDP itself, where the CDPs connect to things like, well, marketing is very traditional, sales service are the other aspects they often connect to, as well as things like, you know, real-time website customization on these inputs. And again, happy to kind of explore that more. And this is then how you take that insight and translate it into action that ultimately should always lead to customers having a better experience with your brand. And the reason why CDPs are so, so um, hot, in quotes, um, is if you look at customer behavior and if you ask people what determines uh, like what companies they stick with, increasingly you find like actually the product itself is only a tiny part. The experience that people have with your company is actually much bigger influence of whether they're going to continue to be your customers or become somebody else's customer. And so this is why there's so much focus now on this, because if you email everybody you ever dealt with the same emails and you interact with everybody the same way, it's just unlikely to hit the spot, right? Because People are different. People love different things. I love barbecue, right? Um, if I would be vegan and if you tell me lots about, um, you know, uh, uh, meat smoking, you might not probably get me very excited about your company and vice yeah. versa. So that's why why I think there's so much excitement. You know, for so long, um, companies have collected data on people and um, oftentimes you'll engage with the business and you know they have the information, but they ask you <laughs> questions um, about you, uh, that, you know, they already know the answer. And I'm not talking about validation of who you are, you know, your ID, that type of thing. And there's often that level of frustration. Why do you think that the customer has become a lot more mature nowadays in their expectations in engaging with a brand? Well, I think it's because some companies are showing that the experience doesn't have to be like that. And, mm -hmm. and your customer service example, I mean, uh, the frustrations that that right both like from phone trees just getting to the right thing, mm -hmm. right place and person, and then like you know you getting transferred and literally the agent asking the same questions again, kind of so who are you and like um, tell me about your problem, is a prime example of of where exactly you know more sharing would be better. Like imagine like if you call and once you kind of identified you know they would be able to see like what you actually, what products you actually bought and maybe whether mm -hmm. if it's a physical device, you know, um, whether it reported errors back, right? If it's one of these things that kind of like talks back to home thing, wouldn't that be delightful? Um, and if it, uh, you know, knows, oh, you know, you had a case three uh, weeks ago or whatever, is it the same issue again? All these things are great examples of how providing that additional data in an aggregated way how that will make it much, much better for your customers. And as soon as some companies provide that experience and customers get delighted by it, anybody who does not 
catch up and basically who follow will be seen as lagging and be seen as having a, a bad customer experience. And that's then, you know, what, what leads to, to customers deciding to move to others, which is why I think it's something that's really not optional anymore. I think if you as a, and for the, for your listeners, right, if, if, if your company isn't looking at how to be more data driven of having this holistic view of your customers, you should probably start looking at it and, of course, I would love it with customer insights, but even mm-hmm. another CDP, it's really more like fundamentally, I think, a big change that we're seeing in the industry uh, um, uh, that you don't want to miss. So, so that's explained customer uh, data platforms, you know, and, and, and the goal that businesses have to come up with that golden record of that 360-degree view of the customer and then what can be learned from that to develop even better customer experiences. Microsoft's product is Dynamics 365 Customer Insights. So when you look at the product that you're responsible for, how does all these inputs um, from the industry um, go into the way you're thinking about uh, customer insights now and and in the future? Um Sorry, I'm not fully sure I follow Mark. Could you could you so 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 when we look at customer insights and um and of course this is Microsoft CDP product. How does uh, you know when you're looking at the competitive landscape and where CI sits for you? What are the what are the big things that you want to achieve with CI or already have achieved? And then what does the the future landscape look like? Um, a great question. So. I mean, I think what we have already achieved, I'm very proud and excited about our ability to scale. Mm. So we, I think we recently on an earnings call announced that by now we're unifying over 2 billion source records um, uh, inside uh, of CI. And we've got our largest customers have uh, well over 100 million uh, uh, unified profiles individually. So just individual accounts. So yeah, well, that's that's phenomenal. It, it is, and it's it's the. I mean, B two C means that you know there are there are large brands that that interact mm-hmm. with you know most people living in a country often, or um, and so uh, you know very excited that we've shown that we are able to scale uh, to this level. You know, you can imagine uh, unifying all these re- these records over these large data amounts and, and so on is, is of course all non-trivial and we're able to do it because we can build a lot, a top of a lot of uh, technology. We're doing all this, um, in spark clusters, by the way. So there's a lot of cluster compute, um, uh, happening in order to do this efficiently at this kind of scale. So when it comes to scale, when it comes to our data, um, Integration, I feel very excited already. We're using Power Query. Uh, many of you will know Power Query from Power BI or from getting data into Dataverse. So um, that team, by the way, sits in my org as well. So we're very closely integrated with them. Um, and so that means we're able to connect to data no matter where it is, whether it's on-prem, whether it's in non-Microsoft systems, ingesting that data and um, then mapping it to the common data model. Uh, I think is where we where we are very strong today, and our customization of of mapping and matching and so on provides a lot of flexibility. And again, proven at that scale, I think the um, the AI part is something we are just you know we are launching our AI models. They've been out for a bit now. Mm-hmm. Um, doing out of the box models is is difficult because of course each company is different, and so traditional auto ML techniques don't work well. 
um, to really create high quality models. So uh, we have we have a um, uh, slightly novel uh, approach to this um, uh, because we understand the semantics of the data. We are actually able to um, create models specific to a domain. Um, for each customer. So we have these meta models that uh, understand something about churn, for example, how to do churn calculation, but then the model gets trained and customized for each customer, but not in the generic AutoML ways. Instead, we, because we understand what your data means, we can do some other clever things. And so we end up um, with auto-generated models uh, that are basically reaching quality of custom models created by data scientists, but uh, we automatically retrain them, and so you don't have to worry about model drift and your model, kind of your custom model, becoming out of date. So on those things, I, I feel feel kind of very strong. I think the big areas where I I, I see us investing more and in improving is uh, when it comes to consent. I mm-hmm. think this is something we are we are thinking about adding more in depth um, uh, connectivity because you know clearly. With all that data comes a lot of responsibility, and we need to make sure that the, the the data gets treated exactly to the level that the individual user granted the company the right to to use that data for. And to be clear, all that data, of course, only is accessible by that individual customer. We as Microsoft don't get access to that data, but it becomes more right. Like, is that customer, uh, for example, not allowing their their behavior to be used as the source of AI models? So, being able to track those kinds of consent parts and make sure they go and uh, live through segments and everything um, through the activation side, right, is something we I think have more or we are. Uh, looking at ways of of deepening our integrations there. On the activation side, we already have, I think, is it like 20 or 30 connectors to go and connect to different systems to activate those insights. So take the action, by the way, very much not just the Microsoft stack, but everything from, you know, you can go and do a campaign in Adobe. uh, uh, You can use it with Salesforce. Mm-hmm. Um, so all our competitors, we really are trying to be very vendor agnostic. But, yeah, even, you know, even Facebook, right, is, is, is an output. Yeah, Facebook ads, uh, Google mm-hmm. ads, mm-hmm. aggregators like LiveRamp. I mean, it's a broad ecosystem, and we generally take the stance that we want to make sure it works with what companies have today, both on where the data lives as well as whatever systems they're using for sales, service, or marketing. Um uh, because that's how the world is, and especially larger companies, right? Um, uh, you just have a, um, a huge um, collection of systems, and we want to make sure you can use it everywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, but so I think, you know, uh, consent is one area, general enrichment ecosystem and the activation ecosystems, you know, those can never be large enough. So adding more and more integrations there. And then, of course, on the um, AI side, again, more and more models. We have a lot of integration already for custom models as well. Um, But I think out-of-the-box models is something we're going to continue to drive. On the mega trend, kind of where do I see CDPs going? I think the more real-time nature of activation is becoming increasingly something. And so um, Microsoft, we actually just announced something called um, Customer Journey Orchestration, which is part of the marketing offering. And that allow is in some ways kind of the crowning way of using data or using the insights you have in a CDP. So Journey Orchestration lets you say, 
that let's say I a customer enters your store and their cell phone connects to the Wi-Fi. So at this point, you know this person is in the store. You can now go and <clears throat> trigger an orchestration so that something happens. Now, ideally, you use the um, uh, profile for that person to make sure that what you now, for example, recommend or remind them of or suggest to that person is literally personalized to that individual versus like, you know, everybody who walks in gets like a, hey, 10% off whatever yeah. um, uh, uh, rebate. Instead, you go like, hey, like, uh, um, you know, three months ago, you bought this. Maybe are you running out? Here's, a, you know, think about this. Or here's a coupon for this thing that we know, you know, might be very um, relevant to you. And so that kind of, real-time engagement and taking the personalization of the action to that next level of not just like the message being personalized, but also when it uh, gets presented and the channel it gets presented on, you know, are you receiving this in through the mobile app? Is the website personalized? Are you sending them a text message like, you know, or an email? All these things getting more and more personalized. And so that act, um, activation becoming more real time, I think is another big trend that's happening. And so for the CDP itself, it means, you know, us becoming a source of triggers so us being able to send a signal, for example, like, hey, this person now, based on some activities, for example, uh, we think their likelihood of churning has exceeded a certain threshold. Go and send a signal out so that something like journey orchestration can go and react and, and do something right now, right? So that real-time uh, you know, means we need to, in the CDP platform, also provide it. It means that updating data more quickly in the CDP uh, you know, so let's say a customer purchased something, make sure it shows up in their profile, right, as quickly as possible. So that, for example, the product recommender doesn't go and recommend the same thing you just bought. Right? Exactly. And stuff like that. Which you see so often with advertising, right? You'll <clears throat> you'll purchase a product from a company and then all of a sudden they start marketing to, marketing to you via, you know, targeted remarketing, that type of thing. But it's for the exact same product you just purchased. So they're just throwing their money away. Um, which is frustrating. But one of the things, when I look at the competitive landscape in CDP, I notice a lot of the software out there is, it's almost like software is a gateway into really a managed service. So the companies that are selling uh, uh, other CDPs are really going to the customer. You you hand over your data to us. We'll do something in a black box here. You know, we'll we'll perform the magic and we'll give you the output. And so, there's almost a disconnect, and, and you see this in agency land as well, where a company will engage an agency, and agency will take their data and say, "Hey, here's the insights that we have found out, uh, you know, about you from your data." But of course, there's this whole separation between the the company's data and the output because somebody else or some other system or a managed service is doing this. Where uh, customer insights is really about full transparency. The customer has their data. It's a SaaS solution end to end. Why did you take that tact over? I think even Adobe has more of a managed type service and how their CDP story plays out. A great point. Uh, you know, early on, I talked about uh, kind of uh, our belief that technology needs to be democratized and that we really need to put the power kind of in the hand of companies. And for me, this is really the same thing here. Um, 
<clears throat> and it works on multiple levels. So the first thing, of course, is indeed like, we believe this is your customer's data. It's your data as a company. We as Microsoft's are the stewards of, of course, physically storing it and so on. But, you know, um, uh, that data is yours and we don't make it a product, right? If you go to some Google products and other things, well, as part of you using some of these services, the data that's being generated ends up being usable, right, by Google, for example, as well. Um, so the other thing is around... Um, you know, we talked about extensibility and, and this is uh, both on the, you can get data in from anywhere, but unlike most other CDPs, certainly the full stack players, you can also go and use that data um, uh, with any system, right? I talked about our ecosystem of connectors out and how that includes a lot of competitors to, to Microsoft's business apps. Um, so we want to make sure that you don't, um, you know, don't feel kind of trapped in the ecosystem. Of course, we like to think that we provide the best possible experience with our own apps, and we have great integrations with them. And so, certainly, you know, we would would love you to go and use more of the rest of the dynamic stack, for example. Now, the other big, I think, difference that's that's very unique to us is, even though we are a SaaS service, <clears throat> we keep all the data. Um, accessible at the kind of the raw data lake level. And you can even either we have a managed lake, but if you want, you can just uh, point us to your Azure data lake and we will do all the work directly in there. What this means is that, um, for example, not just the, so we have the unified profiles and a lot of the data in the data lake. We also put then the resulting profiles in a transactional data store into Cosmos DB, which is where it's used for, you know, if you build a power app atop of it or use it for website um, uh, work. But the data lake has everything directly in there, the resulting profiles, the resulting segments that get created, the results, of course, of the AI on the profiles. And from there, you can just go and use it with any other Azure service. If you want, you can go and bulk export it into another system, but you can certainly use you know, Synapse, um, directly integrated any of the Azure ML capabilities. And what this means is that instead of kind of <clears throat> being trapped by a SaaS service where it's like, well, you only have uh, some APIs to access it. You can go and literally use the data directly where it lives to do your own Spark compute if you want to at scale, right? And so this means integrating it with other other business processes, but also means that any kind of custom IP you might have already in a company, you, that your data scientist can go and party atop of this data and use the CDP mainly as a way to get, you know, solve the hard data prep problem of getting the data unified and enriched and so on, and use that as the starting point versus trying to do all of these. And this is, you know, the walled garden approach that a lot of our competitors take, I think we just believe fundamentally doesn't really make sense. It's it's the data that the company gathers. It should be their data. They should be able to do with it what they want and easily, both for extensibility as well as for using it with other systems. And, and we find customers react well to that message. So I'm very excited that we're able to, to stand out in that way. One of the things you've mentioned a few times here is, is the golden record. You know, when the unification of the data happens, you get a golden record of 360 degree of, uh, of the customer. Is, is this the next version of master data management? or is there a difference between MDM and CDP? 
excellent question, Mark. It's probably, <clears throat> I, I, I kept thinking maybe it's something to write a blog about at some point because mm-hmm. there's a little similarity, but there's some key differences between the two. And, and kind of the punchline is that a CDP is not an MDM solution. Mm-hmm. And <clears throat> the, the key difference is that a CDP, um, A, has typically an element of heuristics in the matching. Mm-hmm. So because, remember, we don't have um, uh, kind of a, an ID we can simply do a join on. Yeah. Um, it, so, um, so it means that, uh, you know, potentially some of the information, like some of the web traffic that gets um, correlated, um, you know, likely is yours and the way the, you can tune these, these rules and the conditions. But there is, uh, there is certainly some potential that some of the data that gets matched might not be there. So, you know, uh, might not be accurate or to that person. Um, in addition, though, that heuristic element the bigger part is that because you also are merging data, it means that the resulting record does not adhere to any of the um, the data um, guarantees that each sor- that a source system provides. Mm-hmm. What I mean is, right? Let's say you do an insert into a database, right? Or into I create a customer record in my CRM system. Let's say that. It will come with a whole bunch of logic associated conditions, right? Like which fields must be filled, for example, and even like other rules, right? And like um, uh, what values must be, you know, um, uh, and so on. Now, when you combine these golden records, the resulting guarantees on each piece of data are not governed by the CDP, but by the original source systems, right? So it means that the, the resulting record might, um, uh, you know, have all the best knowledge about this customer. And certainly that's, I mean, how it's being used. But you can't just say, great, I'll just go and write this back into my original systems because the it hasn't run all the business rules on this record. It might not adhere to all the guarantees that are being made that are required, right? For example, I might find, you know what, for this golden record, I don't have um, enough confidence in a phone number. Right. So I don't have a phone number of this gold record. Now, it could be for, you know, some of your systems. Well, they wouldn't work without a phone number. So you couldn't use it as the master data record in the sense that it's the one that's being used universally because it might not adhere to all your data guarantees you need. At the same time, it expresses the best knowledge about a customer for taking actions on. And so that's kind of the an MDM system is always about creating a truly authoritative record. And a CDP is about creating the best knowledge, but it has it doesn't have the transactional kind of like guarantees on the data. The business logic for an insert will not have necessarily fired because it comes from 20 different systems and they will all have different business rules. And so those are kind of the differences and also the strength. Why, you know, we sometimes have people say like, oh, but I've got an MDM. I don't need any CDP. But because of that, it also means the data that you combine in that master record in an MDM is far narrower typically, right? And you wouldn't include like your, your Wi-Fi connect or your social signals or your web signals because it doesn't fit into an MDM, but this is crucial data to have in order to then go and do the AI and so on. And so this is why they really are they sound similar in the catch tagline of like, you know, your, your gold record for your customer, but 
the depth and what's in it is very different. MDM is more narrow, but it's a transactional kind of guarantee. CDP is much broader and collects far more data, but it doesn't have the same uh, guarantees about each field because it comes from such a broad range. Mm. So I take it that if a company had a master data management uh, solution in place, they could always use that data as a source for CDP. It could be one of the, the data sets that exactly. your CDP platform could ingest. Yeah, that's uh, absolutely um, uh, a way to approach it. Actually, it's a very uh, helpful way, uh, you know, uh, starting with that. Um, and we actually have, for example, integrations <clears throat> with likes of Informatica. Informatica creates the data in CDM format and data lake, and so you can easily pick it up from there. And so uh, those patterns are already possible today easily and, and done by some customers. Yes, MDM is one source of data for as an input into the CDP. Yeah, excellent. You know, with with COVID over the past year and the impact that it's had on businesses um, around the world, are you seeing a greater demand for customer insights in in this world? Or are you seeing a change behavior how um, uh, brands are engaging? And I use the word brands generically because I think brands can cover anything from public sector agency to a non-for-profit to um, any type of business. Um, are you seeing a greater need for customer insights than the pre-COVID world? Um, yes and no. So it depends a little bit on the industry, right? Um, so generally, I think COVID accelerated digital transformations for a lot of businesses just because everybody being remote now and the way you go shopping, right? I mean, we, we go a lot less to even just grocery stores and do a lot more of that shopping now online. Um, it means that the, the, the way how consumers interact with companies has changed and, and fairly drastically for some businesses. And as a result of a lot more of these interactions becoming digital, certainly the urgency of a CDP becomes more crucial, right? We talked about this early on, how, well, the quality of that experience is a key decide on whether you're going to go with vendor A or versus vendor B. And so um, the companies that have been able to provide delightful customer experiences have, you know, had more success. And so as part of this, I think the urgency of CDP has certainly increased for, for some companies. Now, we also have seen, you know, there's some industry that, that struggled, of course, due to COVID. And, um, you know, airlines, for example, right? Uh, I think we we recently started engaging with, with the first airline again, which pre-COVID uh, um, was something where there was a lot more interest, right? But clearly uh, with flights going down um, uh, for, for, for those sectors, you know, that other problems than necessarily increasing um, uh you know, the customer experience. So so it has been a little bit of a change, but overall, I think COVID has accelerated the digital transformation and I, I we don't see that abating. Mm. One, of, one of the things that <clears throat> I've noticed a bit of confusion about is, is the licensing. You know, there's an idea that in building out a 360 degree of the, the customer that everybody in the business can have access to the CDP platform where the licensing construct is more around a profile being unified. So not who has access, but the unification of a profile. Was it ever intended that, you know, 
if you had a a, um, a, a company with 10,000 employees at all 10,000 had access to CDP platform or is it more that your your business specialists people that understand um, the outputs that you want will work in the CDP platform and then via activation via action via passing that data into other systems that's where the individual staff member might interact with that data rather than on the CDP platform have I got that right yeah, you you do. It's it's um so to make sure kind of your your listeners um uh, um get get the kind of the context. So a lot of dynamics licensing, a lot of power platform licensing, of course, is done per user, right? For business apps, that's a fairly tra- traditional model. So everybody who wants to use the app needs to go and have a license. Um, Indeed, as you said, for the CDP, we didn't think that model really makes that much sense um, because the value is not proportional to how many people go and literally physically log into you know, customer insights. The, um, the value is related to how many unified problems, uh, problems uh, profiles, how many unified profiles have you generated? Because each of these profiles is an opportunity to act, gain insights and engage, right? And so this is why customer insights is licensed at the tenant level. So basically your company has the right to use it or not. And if they have the right to use it, they have the right to a certain amount of unified profiles. Now, from our side, licensing-wise, any if you have your company with 10,000 users, licensing-wise, any of those 10,000 users would be permitted to go and access CI. And of course, they need to have gotten permissions from their admins. So, mm-hmm. you know, if you don't want to have random people in your company looking yeah. at customer data, that would be terrifying. But from a pure licensing legal right, we don't restrict how many people have access. You are entirely correct, though, that, of course, the way most of the people in the company will interact with the data is not by logging into CI directly, but by using the resulting unified profiles in some other context. So for a customer service agent, right, it's the integration we have with customer service where you can see that a unified profile in your agent desktop, right? Same with, let's say, CRM and sellers. Um, right, they can see that knowledge directly in their in their CRM app and use it that way. Now, for marketeers, with um, we talked about engagement insights earlier, right? The um, kind of the the behavioral analytics component that just uh, that went to preview l- late last year um, that allows you to understand the web and mobile um, uh, behavior. Those. Well, apps are ones where we do see more marketing teams logging in directly uh, to do the analytics already in CI. Marketing teams go in to create segments in there. But um, so we expect that the, the, the number of people who use CI or one of the components of CI generally to become bigger as we roll out some of these capabilities. But yes, it will always be a subset of the company. The biggest use follows through the activation and through using the unified profiles, not through interacting with CI directly, which is a little bit unusual for a business app. Um, we're in that um, way a bit more akin maybe to, to some of the more back-end for focused systems. What are, what are you seeing from the partner ecosystem, the Microsoft partner ecosystem, when it comes to you know implementation for customers? Is it your traditional you know, dynamic CRM or ERP type partner, or is it more 
partners that have a lot of experience in data analytics, uh, AI, ML, um, you know, data, more data science type skills. What, what, are you, what are you seeing across the globe? So for sure, it's more akin to, I think, a power BI skill set at times mm-hmm. because there's a mm-hmm. lot of data handling. I talked about how Power Query, right, is the same technology that Power BI uses for data ingestion transform uh, that we're using in CI. Um, However, I think if I look at who are the partners who are most successful, actually, I think it's the ones that uh, combine both knowledge, right? So typically, a CDP, in order to be successful, you need to convince both the business side, which often is the the marketing, the CMO, the marketing organization, or a, a digital transformation officer. Sometimes it comes from the analytics side. So it's typically more uh, the business side who cares about what can I achieve with this, right? How does this transform my customer experience? So they need to understand the value and what this will enable them to do, um, how it will translate into their goals of better customer um, interactions, customer experience. And at the same time then, uh, for the implementation, of course, the IT organization typically gets engaged. And because CDPs are still something that's um, fairly recent, and so organizations often don't have a lot of knowledge uh, yet, often the IT part then needs, you know, uh, they have a lot of questions about the technology, about how it works, the security, how do you manage it? And so for yeah. this part, the um, more data and AI experienced um, practices can succeed. And so ideally, we have ones that have one part of uh, their their practices that can talk to marketing organizations and understands customer experience, and then another part that is uh, can talk to CIOs and explain you know all the data handling and technology parts and how it integrates with their systems and and you know how they can leverage Azure for it and so on. Mm. Well, Frank, we've covered a lot of ground today. Um, before I jump onto some quick fire questions, whether you have anything you want to add in closing. Uh, no, this has been a lot of fun, uh, Mark. I think the real, the big takeaway, um, I would say, for, for all of, of your listeners really is, I think, the digital transformation and being data first is something that we expect and we're starting to see across all parts of your business. And so customer experience and CDPs, I think, are only the starting edge of this you know, uh, it will come and look uh, you know, everything from suppliers uh, to how do we optimize product, how do we optimize, optimize operations. All of these, I think, will start to see that similar pattern of combining lots of existing data that that resides in different silos, putting it together, using that to create actionable insights. That pattern, I think, you will see in more and more places. And think about, you know, where's your company on that? And and um, mm. are you ready for it? And are you looking at it? And if not, I would say go go and and, and investigate a little. Yeah, very good, very good. Uh, is there any <clears throat> body of Microsoft you recommend as a guest for the show? Particularly, you, you talked about customer journey mapping. I think that'd be an interesting area to explore maybe um, with a podcast. Anyone you recommend out of that team? Uh, Laurie Lampkin, uh, she runs the marketing team where customer journey orchestration uh, is being built. Uh, we're working a lot with her. We are a lot together in accounts, and I think she will have uh, some fantastic uh, uh, examples and uh, views on where where we see the kind of the action space, right, heading mm-hmm. where we see the engagement changing. So, yes, she would be a fabulous guest to have. I like it. Okay, you ready for some quick fire questions? They're totally random. 
Okay. Okay. If you could instantly be an expert on a subject that you currently aren't, what would it be? Singing. Wow. Okay. Interesting. <laughs> what's What's the best advice you've ever received? Make sure that you're never indispensable in your job because you can only move up into bigger opportunities if you actually can move. If you are needed in where you are and you can't, mm -hmm. uh, and you, nobody else can do it, then you won't wow. uh, move. And that's just been some of the best advice. That's brilliant. That's brilliant. And finally, what's the last foreign country you visited? Oh, um, I think. Germany, my, my family, I, I'm originally from Germany. And so uh, I've, I've visited family there. And I think that was the last trip we took before COVID hit. So, well, Frank, it's been great to have you on the show. Uh, thanks again for coming on. Uh, pleasure to be here, Mark. Thanks for having me. And uh, this was a lot of fun. Thanks for listening. I'm your host, Business Applications MVP, Mark Smith, otherwise known as the NZ365 guy. Hopefully you learned a lot from that episode. You enjoyed it. Uh, and if you've got a Microsoft uh, person that you think, you know, have got a good story to tell that we should have on the show, please reach out to me. Let me know via LinkedIn. I'd love to get them on here uh, so we can all learn uh, together. Please like and subscribe in your favorite podcast player. If you'd like to leave a review of the show, go to nz365guy.com forward slash review and the options are all there for you to review on the platform of your choice otherwise stay safe out there and see you next time